You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Always so good to uh, see all of you here in person, and for those online watching as well, good morning to you. Um, It is so good to just kind of get away from the chaos of the world and just come together and be in God's presence, right? Amen? Yeah. Um, It is good for me anyways. Like like I always say, I can't hear you in your mask, so you have to talk like extra louder if you're... Hey, there, there it is. Um, you know, especially because we, we all know that it's been quite the year. Am I right? Yeah? With, with the pandemic and the U.S. elections and the polarization of politics and opinions and the instability of the economy and social distancing and masks and quarantining and everything else that's been going on, and of course, how these, these situations and issues have affected our individual lives and therefore how we've had to function and adjust to them and manage our family members who might have different opinions or levels of concerns than we do. So let, let's be honest, things have definitely been crazy. They've been difficult at times, and they've been unpredictable. And so it's especially in times like these where, where it's, it's natural that we might start to become consumed with worry anxiety, depression, confusion, even despair, the list goes on. It's in times like these when, when things are out of our control, where we can just start feeling like we're, we're just drowning under the waves of circumstance, right? And, and no matter how hard we try to, to doggy paddle our way back up to the surface, we just can't stop or rise above the chaos. And so it's no surprise then that you know, I think I can safely assume that, that many of us have shown up to church today feeling exhausted, feeling frustrated, feeling burned out, feeling weary, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally weary. And you know what they say, there's no rest for the weary. But you know what? Whoever said that doesn't know Jesus, right? Because when Jesus came into the world to save it from sin, he he spoke this incredibly powerful and delightful invitation to all who would believe in him. He said from Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Most of us have heard this wonderful invitation to find rest for our souls, but yet, if, if we're honest, m- many of us aren't actually experiencing that, that rest in our, in our day-to-day lives. Logically, we might understand it. We might understand that Jesus, through his perfect work on the cross, has given us rest from having to to work off our own sin debt by his grace alone, and that that he's also with us, and that he gives us the faith and peace, and that as the king of kings, he has a perfect plan for us. But then practically speaking, in our day-to-day lives, we often turn into hot messes. I'm speaking from experience there. 
And, and, and again, I get it with all that's happening in our lives, right? the highs and, and the lows, the tragedies, the busyness of work and, and family, the, the endless struggles, the, the chaos, paying the bills, all the unknowns and what ifs and decisions we have to make all the time. Sometimes it might even feel like it's impossible to even experience a tiny bit of, of this rest for our souls until we actually meet Jesus in eternity. But that's not Jesus' promise here. He tells us that if we, first of all, come to him, and then second of all, learn from him, that we can know and experience and find that true rest for our souls. As it says in Hebrews, his rest remains for us and is available for us today. There's a, a story in the Bible about two sisters. You might have heard this one, Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to their house for a visit. And so Martha, the older sister, she gets busy and and stressed out trying to cook and clean for Jesus. And so, of course, she gets annoyed that her younger sister is just sitting with Jesus rather than than helping her. And so she exclaims from Luke 10, verses 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And so, like Martha, we're, we're often so caught up in the chaos and anxieties and busyness of life and even in, in trying to do the work for God that we've been called to do, that we, we get so busy doing those things that we actually forget the good portion. Some of us, like Mar- Martha, even feel guilty if we're not doing some sort of task or work. How many people are like that? You feel guilty if you're not doing something. And I knew Janine was going to raise her hand. <laughs> and so we refuse, right, or forget to invest in and learn from the one thing that is sure and that cannot be taken away from us, Jesus, that rest in Jesus. And last week, Pastor Blair encouraged us to, to re-examine our, our relationship and obedience to Christ by, by taking a Sabbath day of rest each week. And today, in a similar manner, I, I want to encourage us to start choosing the good portion on a day-to-day basis as well to intentionally and attentively take time in our daily schedules to be still before the Lord. To humbly come to Jesus and learn from him. Because in in doing this, we're, we're not only taking time to have communion and rest in his presence in that moment, we're also then reminded and assured of that rest and of God's presence in our lives as we go about our day. We can live in light of that rest, right? And what we'll find then is, as we're committed to doing this is that these times of stillness with God become restorative to our spirit and like an anchor for our soul where we're no longer tossed to and fro by the storms of life but confident in the grace and peace and rest and sovereignty of the God who is for us 
and with us. As Peter Scazzaro writes, there is a way to live a relaxed, unhurried, contented life in Jesus amidst the pressures and difficulties of life. There is a way to mature into spiritual adulthood anchored in the love of God. There is a way to remain thoughtful when triggered in conversations and listen for God's voice. There is a way to surrender to God's love and will consistently, even when it is difficult. There is a way to give our lives in service to others without becoming chronically exhausted. How? The answer lies in intentionally rearranging our days to integrate the Christian practice of being still and silent in God's presence. Some of you might remember when we went through the book of Daniel earlier this year that that Daniel himself exemplified this pattern and practice of being still before the Lord on a day-by-day basis, right? He spent time in the Word of God and got on his knees in prayer before the Lord three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. And nothing prevented him from doing this, not even the change of a law, because he knew it was this pattern of stillness before God that kept him full of faith, that, that, that kept him obedient to God's word, that, that kept him confident in God's plan and presence, as, as well as level-headed and, and wise, even in the most potentially stressful and threatening situations that he faced in Babylon. Of course, Jesus himself exemplified the importance of stepping away at times throughout the day to submit and, and be still before the Father. And if Jesus, God incarnate himself, needed to do this, then we definitely need to do this. And we may think we have no time to do it. I'm too busy to do it. There's too much going on for me to step away. I can't step away from this right now. I have to do this. Right? But the reality is that, that just like how a power nap in the afternoon actually makes us more effective and productive in our day compared to those who, who skip lunch or skip the nap and, and decide to work more hours instead, in, in the same way, but spiritually speaking, taking time to, to intentionally come before the Lord at least once a day to rest in the presence and reality of who God is, to wait on the Lord, right? that restores us and also builds our strength and our trust and, and our faith and our maturity and our effectiveness and our confidence in Him and in His Spirit as we go about our day and do what He's called us to do. And so, again, not only is this something we should do, it's something that we need to do in good times, but also in busy or difficult times as well. We need to take time in our days to come back to God, to wait on the Lord. Which is why God proclaims to his people in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. And know that I am God. You've, you've probably heard this quote before, you know, or seen it crocheted on your grandma's couch pillow or whatever, right? And so we gloss over it. We think, oh, that's such a nice and comfy thought, mm, right? But honestly, we've watered that verse down so much. 
It's, it's about more than just R&R or wrapping a comfy blanket around yourself and sipping coffee while you quickly read your devotions on a quiet Saturday morning. In, in the context of this psalm which it comes from, God's demanding his people to be still because they're in the midst of trouble. They're in the midst of despair, of waves crashing and, and earthquakes and war and the raging of, of powerful and threatening nations all around them. Right? It's a psalm about, about the potential of being overwhelmed by chaos, but God crying out in the midst of that chaos, be still and know me. Not for his sake, but for theirs. For his glory, absolutely. But for their peace, for their comfort, for their strength. He's standing by. He's making them recognize that he's standing by, ready to fight for them and to be their refuge. And so he demands, because otherwise they wouldn't. So he has to demand that they be still, that they dwell not on the overwhelming issues, but on him who is bigger than all of it. Like a teacher walking into a classroom and, you know, all the students are throwing papers and, and yelling and being bullied by other kids and making TikTok videos and listening to their AirPods and playing games on their phones and freaking out about their test in the next period. And the only way to get them to calm down so that they can learn and do their work, to work effectively is for that teacher to yell out over the noise, sit down and pay attention. Right? Any teachers in the room know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we have to do that with our kids too, I guess. Or as the disciples learned when they were caught in a storm while Jesus was, was sleeping on a cushion in the boat, they were freaking out because the storm, the storm was certainly too much for them to handle. But for Jesus, all he had to do was cry out to the storm, be still. And it was still. And this is God's cry in our hearts when we're in the midst of our chaos or when we're in the midst of mental anguish and anxiety. Be still and look at me. I am God. I've got this. That's what God cries out to our hearts. And we need that reminder and we need that assurance every day, even on the good days. We need that reminder and assurance. Earlier in Psalm 46, we're also told to behold the works of the Lord. It says, behold the works of the Lord. That is to remember what, what God's done in order to give us confidence in what he's doing and what he's going to do. To remember that he's the Lord who created the world, who calms the sea and makes nations bow before him, who took his people out of slavery and into the promised land, who fights for his people, who works all things for good, whose will is perfect and, and never thwarted, who, who faithfully pursues us in loving mercy even when we stray from him, who sent his one and only begotten son to rescue us from our sin at the cross, who defeated the grave and invites us into his kingdom, who will one day come again to restore heaven and earth. In other words, to know that he is God is to acknowledge that he is God and that he's for us, that he's sovereign, that he's faithful and in control, that he can turn all, evil, all these evil things that we have to face for good, that in him we have nothing to fear because one day every knee will bow before his throne. And, and Jesus proclaims something similar to his disciples when he tells them, in this world, 
you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? So to be still before the Lord is to, is to take heart. And in the, vein, in the same vein, it's to stop trying to, to self-righteously or, or stubbornly try to control that which we cannot control or to be overwhelmed or, or to freak out about it. But instead, it's to surrender to the one who can calm the storm or take us through the storm. It's to trust in his perfect will, whatever it may be. It's to rest and hope in the security of knowing that he's already won the victory. To be still before the Lord, then, as Peter Scazzaro again writes, it keeps us grounded and humble, reminding us we are not in charge of running the world. It breaks our self-will and grows us in wisdom. Because on, on the flip side of that, as theologian Elizabeth Elliot also reminds us, fear arises when we imagine everything depends on us. So, so taking time to rest in God's presence is, is a needed reminder that everything depends on God, not on us. Everything depends on God, including us. We need to depend on God. And so when we place our awe and our fear in God alone, and, that, and, and we see how big and in control he is in comparison to everything else, we have nothing else to fear. As the beginning of Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And also, as it says in Isaiah 30, 15, I love this verse. Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. All right, so we've discussed, you know, the importance of being still before the Lord. But, but to do this daily and, and to move into doing it multiple times a day, this is going to take commitment and this is going to take practice. As it says in Hebrews, we're, we're to strive to enter that rest. And as I said earlier, we, we can get so busy, right, and so distracted by the pressures and, and, and entertainment and struggles of the world. Or on the flip side, we might refuse to, to, refuse to ask for help due to our pride and our stubbornness, right, that, you know, days can often go by sometimes where we realize finally in our exhaustion and our spiritual depletion that we haven't actually spent time with the Lord, right? So, so it's going to take intentionality, it's going to take cultivation. It's going to take practice to create habits of stillness. But we need to do it. And on that note, before we get into it, I, I, kind of a side note here. If you start practicing and, and start, start doing this, which I hope you do, I just want to say don't feel guilty if, if you, or get down on yourself if you miss a day here and there. You're like, oh, I didn't, 
I didn't spend time with God yesterday. I feel so bad about myself. Blah. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's, that's not necessary. Just start up again, okay? Also, sometimes it, it helps to just start with a couple minutes each day of being still before the Lord and then, and then build from there. Um, wherever you're at in, in doing that, you can just start with what you can handle and, and build on that. At the same time, it's going to take us re- relearning how to slow down and how to be still. Right? This, this pandemic and its forced quarantines and social distancing is, has somewhat forced us to relearn this, how to slow down. But, but more, often than that, more often than not, we still tend to, tend to try to fill the empty spaces in our day with our phones or with Netflix or whatever else. Right? We, we, we don't like sitting there, being bored, you know? As soon as, soon as you know, around the bus or something, we, in the, you know, 20 years ago, we sit on the bus and just sit there, right? Maybe we talk to the person next to us, but now we sit on the bus, and the moment we feel just, just a little bit bored, whoosh, out comes the phone, right? So this is our, our symptom of a society as, as a whole. We, we don't know how to quiet our minds or ourselves anymore, with our over-reliance on our devices, mixed with our culture's celebration of, a, of achievement and success, we, we've forgotten how to let go and sit in silence or, or stillness. Uh, as as A.W. Tozer writes about resting in God's presence, he says, It is a gift of God, indeed, but one which must be cultivated as any other gift if we are to realize the purpose for which it was given. But the idea of cultivation and exercise, so dear to the saints of old, has now no place in our total religious picture. It is too slow, too common. We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. A generation of Christians reared among push-buttons and automatic machines is impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching their goals. We have been trying to apply machine-age methods to our relations with God. We read our chapter, have our short devotions, and rush away, hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by a religious adventurer lately returned from afar. And, and he wrote that before smartphones were even a thing. How prophetic, right? So with all that being said... Let's talk then about what it might look like, practically speaking, for us to be still before God and to practice what the saints of old might have referred to as the daily office, being still before the Lord. Sometimes they call that the daily office. And I just want to mention that your own time before God might look a little different than mine or someone else's. You know, depending on your personality or your schedule or the location you, that you're doing it in. Like, like if you're on a break at work, it might look different than time spent with God by yourself at home. That's fine. Um, but, but on that note, I'm going to give us some practical applications from the Bible that I would encourage each of you to, to start practicing and incorporating and cultivating in your life on a daily basis. So when we're going to be still before the Lord... First of all, I recommend that we start with a time of humble quietness and surrender, right? The Bible calls us to wait on the Lord constantly. Exodus 14.14 says, 
The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Wow, sometimes, right? Isn't that crazy? Sometimes we think like, oh, we have to do and do and go and go and work and work. But no, this is saying the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And yes, he's going to work in us and we're called to do good works. But that starts with the silence before the Lord so that he can work in us. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So again, the first thing that I'd recommend and that many others recommend is is to start out our time with the Lord by literally just being still and being silent. And and this is something I've been learning myself, to, to just not say anything and just be in the presence of God. It might be harder for extroverts, Right? So figure out a time, uh, figure out and schedule a time in your day that works best and then go somewhere by yourself, away from your work, your busyness, your devices, your distractions, right? Anything else, that, and, and just be in the presence of God in humble quietness and surrender to Him. And as uh, John Mark Homer recommends in his study on this subject, this can be 30 seconds to start out of quietness and stillness. But over time, you can stretch that into a minute or two minutes or five minutes. So start out with that. Next, spend some time refocusing on God and who He is through a time of prayer. And this can be long or short, right? But this should include, this prayer should include moments of repentance. That's turning back to God, right? And also times of, of praise, and this is especially important that, that we spend some time praising him in prayer for who he is and what he's done, not because he needs it, right, but because it humbles us and also reminds us in our own hearts what an amazing Savior and God we have on our side. So as, as it says, part of, part of looking to him and knowing he is God is by beholding his works. And so we need to spend time in prayer doing that. Um, and this practice builds our trust and our reliance on him um, which brings us to Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Right? Behold him, and turn away from evil. That's repentance, right? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Healing and refreshment. So, so this is the attitude we have as, as we come to him in stillness and prayer, which then leads us into the next portion of being still before God, which is to meditate on God's word. To meditate. Meditation, we were talking about this in, in our community group a couple of weeks ago. Meditation's kind of been given a, a bad rap in, in Christianity because when we hear that word, it sounds new agey to us, right? Oh, meditate, that's new agey. It's like yoga or whatever. And so we immediately get turned off by that word. But, but the Bible instructs us to meditate. Not, not to empty our minds, but rather to, to clear our minds of the concerns of the world and replace it with the word of God. To, to come to Jesus and learn from him. Right? That's part of it. Psalm, Psalm 104 says, My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, 
and he meditates on it day and night. See that day and night. Twice a day, it's saying a disciple meditates on the word. So, th- so this is more than about just reading a Bible passage or reading a devotion, which, which is also good to do, obviously. But, th- but this is about prayerfully meditating on a verse or passage, pondering it, right? Thinking about how it glorifies Jesus and applies to our lives, allowing God to use it in that space to, to mold us and change us and write it on our hearts and in our minds. And, and for some of you, journaling, journaling as a way of meditating and thinking on a passage can be helpful here as well if you're into that, if that works for you. All right, which brings us to the next part of being still before God, which, which is to do something like go for a walk or, or get outside. Because another way that we can behold the, the work of God is by going out into creation. And I know some of us like to go on walks or, or hikes or, or just to sit outside and stare at the sky. And, and this is a great way to, to relax, to get away from the, the craziness of the world, but, but most, more importantly, to be humbled in the greatness and sovereignty of God the Creator. Next, our times of being still should also include prayers of thanksgiving and of laying our anxieties and concerns before Him. And this is really important because, let's be honest, it's, it's hard to be still if, if we've got a lot of built-up tension or if our minds are racing a mile of minute and the synapses are going crazy, worrying about this and that and the what-ifs and the regrets, oh, I should have said this, or what if this happens and I go here, or, I don't know what to do about this situation, and all this stuff's going on in our mind. We have to lay that down at the cross, right? So this is an important aspect of, of being still before God. So it should include taking time to acknowledge our need to acknowledge our dependence on God by asking for help, by taking time to unload all of our burdens and requests and our anxieties on Him, while at the same time thanking Him for His grace and mercy in our time of need. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Don't be ashamed of your anxiety. Cast it upon him. He cares for you. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's that rest for our souls. And finally then, as we kind of wrap up, our, our time of stillness before the Lord, we should return to that time of quietness and listening. Right? Take some time to just rest in the peace and presence of God. And again, this is important as well because in the same way we started the session, we need to make sure that this isn't just like a one-side relationship, that we're the only ones talking, right? but that we spend some time in quietness and silence and surrender before God waiting on the Lord to strengthen us, allowing His Spirit to to speak into our soul and to intercede on our behalf before we go about the rest of our day.
Can you imagine living your day in, the, in that space? In that peace? Just imagine like going about your day having started out with just that surrender and that peace. Man. And again, this moment of silence can, 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 can be 30 seconds to start out. Over time, you can stretch that into a couple minutes or whatever. So again, this, this, this time of being still isn't just to have communion with God in that moment, as I said, but it's also to, to remind us that we're in communion with him at all times, that, that he's with us throughout our day, which then gives us confidence and gives us boldness and a source of strength and wisdom and peace as we, as we live out our day. So with all, with all this being said, I, I encourage each of you now to make that decision to accept Jesus' invitation to come to him and learn from him. Make, make that conscientious decision to intentionally plan times during your days to be still before God. If you need to put an alarm in your phone, do that. Or on your calendar or whatever you do. Make that decision. If you don't plan it, you probably won't end up doing it. But if you do plan it and you do it, I know, I know that you'll notice an immediate difference in your strength, in your joy, in your peace, in in your ability to live the life which Jesus has called you to do, to live, as as well as your ability to stand firm in faith and and trust the Lord and to make wise and level-headed decisions, even in the most difficult situations or seasons of life. At one point in the, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is, is being taken to, to Rome as a prisoner on a boat. And like the disciples during Jesus' ministry, Paul's also caught in a storm, a deadly storm. But while the soldiers and sailors aboard the boat are freaking out and thinking of uh, abandoning ship, Paul has the wisdom to be still before the Lord. There's all this chaos of the storm and and potential fear and temptation of becoming overwhelmed. Yet Paul is still before the Lord. And it's in that stillness when the Lord then gives him confidence and directs his path. The Lord makes a promise to him that he'll be saved. So the Lord gives him and even the rest of the ship's crew hope and direction in that stillness. And, and this is one of the many examples and benefits of what it looks like to be still before the Lord. To trust in the one who can actually, again, calm the storm or get us through the storm. Whatever his will is in that situation. And, it, and let's be honest, if we were in that situation, what, what would we be doing there? Like most of us would probably be afraid for our lives, right? Or clamoring to grab our stuff or, or getting ready to, to abandon ship like the others or at least frantically attempting to do what we could do, do to help, making sure the ropes were tied down or something futile like that. But, but again, Paul demonstrates the importance of being still before God first and foremost, of coming to him in trust and in faith, faith first. 
That even in the moments where we think we don't have time to be still, those are actually the moments where we really need to be still. But the reality is, again, if we don't practice stillness outside of those moments, we'll probably neglect to be still before the Lord when things get crazy and and busy and hard. Which is why we need to commit to this, to commit to cultivating this practice and creating daily habits of stillness in our lives so that it becomes like second nature, so that it becomes not the last thing we attempt, but the first. And so, and so again, I, I encourage you to respond. Seriously respond to that invitation daily to come to Jesus and learn from him so that you can truly and fully find and experience that rest for your souls. And again, we can be confident in that promise that he gives us, that promise of rest, precisely because he already took our sins and our burdens upon himself at the cross in his perfect work, and because he's even now comforting and interceding for us on our behalf at the right hand of God with all authority over heaven and earth. Be still and know that he is the Lord. Jesus is our rest. We can find stillness and peace beyond understanding in him. So accept that invitation this morning. You won't regret it. And on that note, what we're going to do now, before we we come to the table of Christ and respond together with communion, is we're going to practice this. We're going to take a minute to be silent before God. For some of you, a minute might feel like an hour. For some of you, it might not not feel long enough. But we're going to take a minute together to be still before the Lord, to be silent before the Lord, to let him fight for us in our silence. So I invite you now in this place, or whether you're at home watching online, I invite you now to quiet your heart. Take a deep breath if you need to. Close your eyes. Set your mind on Christ and who he is. And let's be still before the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your promise of rest. I 
Thank you for your perfect work on the cross, which invites us into that rest, which cries to our hearts, be still and know that you are God. Lord, I thank you for your patience for us when, when we do become overwhelmed with, with, with fear or, or anxiety or on the good days when we forget to, to come before you. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy in those, in those moments, Lord God, that, that you haven't forgot about us, but yet you call to us, be still and know. And I pray that we wouldn't harden our hearts against that invitation, Lord God, but that we would strive to enter that rest, that we would, we would be committed to, to taking time each and every day to come before you, to be still before you, to acknowledge you as our Lord, as our God, as the author of our faith, as our source of peace beyond all understanding. And Lord, I thank you even as we commit to doing this, Lord, that you would, you would change us, that you would mature us in our, in our relationship with you and our Christ-likeness, Lord God, and that you would strengthen us and work in us your will, which pleases you, Lord. And again, Jesus, I thank you that all this is possible because of your sacrifice for us at the cross. Lord, I thank you that you laid down your life, that your body was broken, that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be covered in your righteousness and enter into the presence of God where we find that rest for our souls. Lord, we give you all the glory and we lift you up. You are our refuge, Lord. You are our refuge. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.